Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and we are back with part two focusing on Beaujolais. And as I'm sure you already know, if you've heard part one, we are in safe hands because Dan, the founder of Wickham's Wines and also my sponsor of this season, knows his shit when it comes to especially French wine. And that is reflected in the fact that he won the Decanter Retailer Award for South and Regional France Specialist Retailer of the Year. So don't forget, you can use my code EATSLEEP10 to get yourself 10% off your first order. And as I know, you're all gagging to know so much more about the 10 cruise of Beaujolais in insane amount of detail. Pour yourself that glass of Beaujo and let's get going. But I think what we what we talked about in part one, we really focused on Beaujolais Nouveau, but you did touch on, you know, we talked about the 10 cruise, we have talked about the village, but do you want to possibly just summarise before we move forward on the pyramid, as in starting from AOC Beaujolais, right? So everyone understands, I guess, if they were looking at a label, kind of what they're going to get? Yeah. Okay. So as is typical with all French wine regions, the appellation system is a really simple guide to what we can expect. So you start off with a very broad area. So AOC Beaujolais, grapes can come from anywhere within the Beaujolais region. There's 96 communes in total, and any one of those 96 communes can make wine that can be labelled AOC Beaujolais. If it's red, it's going to be Gamay, 100% Gamay. It's the only grape that's allowed. If it's rosé, it's going to be 100% Gamay, the only grape that is allowed. If it's white, it's going to be 100% Chardonnay, the only white grape that's allowed. It's another reason why I like Beaujolais so much. It's simple, just like me. So it's very easy to understand. <laughs> you said it. I didn't say anything. So you're looking at an area of about 4,000 hectares for AOC Beaujolais. Then taking one step up on the pyramid, so slight improvement in quality, you have Beaujolais Village. So most of the time on the label, you will see Beaujolais Village. So you now go down to 38 villages that are allowed to make Beaujolais Village. So you're basically losing most of the villages in the flat plains in the south, and we're now just getting slightly more hilly slightly more altitude um, and these are your villages although you can see Beaujolais village on the village they are allowed to put the village name on the label as well if they want to so if you see Beaujolais and then the name of a village so something like Beaujolais Blasé then that is Beaujolais village but it comes from the village from that, from that village, village of Blasé yeah. yes rather than being a blend from lots of different villages and you see that mostly in those villages that are trying to get crew status. Uh, so are the, okay, this is now this is interesting in terms of current information. We've got the 10 crews, we're going to get to that. Are there 
quite a few others that are really close to perhaps being added into that tent because there, there hasn't been any changes. So there are a handful of villages which are pushing to be Cruz Blasse being one of them. So if you see the name on the on the label, it's because those villages are making a real play <laughs> yeah, to mm. say, look, we have a distinct identity, you know, we have a distinct terroir, and we feel that that should be recognized in the AOC system. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so we've gone to Beaujolais Village. And again, in Beaujolais Village, you can have red, rose, and white. Same grapes, Gamay Red, Gamay Rose, Chardonnay White. And then the final step up the pyramid, so the top of the pyramid. Oh, sorry, Beaujolais Village. Well, we're about 3,000 hectares now in Beaujolais Village. So, so slightly lower volumes as well and slightly lower yields and so on and so forth. We get to the top of the pyramid now, final step, and that is the crew villages of Beaujolais, of which there are 10. I see you have a beautiful, lovely map. Yes. Do you want to go through? Do you want to go through the ten crews in order? In order. Please? So, starting with the furthest north, we have Juliana, Saint-Amour, Chenin, Moulin-Avant, Fleury, Chirouble, Morgon, Renier, Bruy, Côte de Bruy. Now, do you know what? I'm so confused. You're looking at a map. Yep. I genuinely always thought Saint-Amour was north. Then my whole story doesn't work. <laughs> I'm going to check a map now as well. Map of Beaujolais. Have they changed the map? No, no, they haven't moved Santamore. It's, it's, it's not moved. I just don't believe it. So if you look on the map there, so I'm just holding it up. No, okay. We are all okay, everybody. Don't worry. Actually... It is about your own personal opinion. If Santa Moore is on top, but Juliana has a point that is more further north. Okay, yes. So I'm sticking with it. <laughs> you could make an argument for either one. Yes. Okay. That's so funny. I was like, how is that even possible? You're looking at a map, but I'm looking at a map now as well. And it's it is actually Santamore sits on top of Julianas, but Juliana is actually got a little sticky pointy out bit. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so what I love about Santamore is the easiest one to almost describe as a as a wine region, because you think of love and you think of just like, oh, and you're all happy and it's juicy and it's fresh. And so there is this lightness and this easiness to the fruit of Santamore. So it's great because it's nice at Valentine's Day, buy a bottle of Santamore and it is just going to be that lovely, light and easy stuff. Do you feel that that's accurate though? Because you drink more Beaujolais than I do. So in general, Santamore is a lighter, easier wine to understand. Typically, sort of raspberries, violets, iris, maybe a little bit of wild strawberry as well. But, because there's always an exception to the rule. Oh, there's there? always a always, but. Yeah. So the bedrock in Santamore is more heterogeneous than any other of the crews in Beaujolais. So okay. you can get lots of different profiles from Santamore, dependent on what your vines are planted on. So you have granite, because you always do in Beaujolais, yep. but you also have alluvial deposits, you have bluestones, you know, you have a real mixture of different types of geology. So you can yeah, make very different wines, should you choose to. 
Okay. So there's a rule, but everyone just keep in mind, like, kind there's of. There's always an exception to the rule. Okay. Yes. So, Julian what is your interpretation of Julian as a crew? Yeah. So, Julian tends to be red fruits, floral, maybe a very slight touch of sort of stone fruits as well. So, a little bit of sour cherry from something like that from stone fruits. It's unique, again, in terms of the bedrock a bit in terms of the geology because what you have is a blend of schist diorite sandstone and clay you actually don't have very much granite granite's probably the lowest percentage in juliana to everywhere else okay all right so yeah you have a you have a slightly again unusual so juliana and santa moore both sort of don't quite fit the profile of the other crews insofar as they have like lots of different geology happening there where they tend to be much more what's the word well they're outliers a little bit more then yeah. so if if you're more into unity everybody <laughs> go go a bit further <laughs> down in the cruise <laughs> yes ignore those two okay what about shana <laughs> i was gonna say but equally bearing in mind that we are talking about so the cruise i don't think we mentioned this earlier you can only make gamay. You cannot make you. So there is no white, there is no rosé. You can only make red gamay in the cruise. So whilst we say you want more unity, actually, you know, all of them <laughs> have a similarity because they are made from the, the same great variety. And so you are sticking in within a fairly limited range of flavour profiles that you're going to find here. And it's dependent on producer because also as well, a lot of these, these are the most serious Gamay wines. A lot of them are putting it in oak and how much time in oak and what, you know, what are they doing as to how serious their wine is going to be. So exactly from producer to producer in the same region, you are all, of course, going to find different styles slightly. So we are trying to make it at least right now a little bit easier for someone if they had three or four different crews right in front of them to maybe say, okay, shall I pick a Morgan over a Santa Moore. Okay. Yep. And now see they'll learn in a second that Morgan is much bigger. So so we're gonna well, you know, so let's go to Shana. Okay. Which is the third crew going down. And you this one's quite hard to find, although you have a Shana on your yes. site, don't you? Of course you do. Of course you do, yeah. <laughs> so it's the smallest appellation of the cruise. So it's only 250 hectares in total. So very small. And actually, so Shana in French, so it comes from the word for oak trees. And it's because actually there used to be ancient oak forests on the ground in the region of hey. Chenin, which were originally cleared by the Romans and then later by Philip the Tall. So not <laughs> Philip the Bold or Philip the Mad, but Philip the Tall. These are all genuine French dukes and kings. Philip the Tall decided to rip out the oak trees and replace it with vines. Why? Because they were taller than him. Do you think it was like he was sizes? <laughs> Maybe. No. Okay. If they got over a certain height, because then they were taller. He than was him. like out, gone. Yeah. And so now we are getting into more of the sort of typical geology, if you like. So you've got fifty percent of the bedrock is granite, and then the rest is alluvial deposits. You do here in Chenard tend to get more depth and concentration, so you definitely get a spicy note that comes with Chenard. Black fruits as well come through with Chenard and maybe sort of, again, that sort of typical floral, maybe peonies that you can find in Beaujolais. But yeah, Chenard definitely worth looking out. It's not one that we see very often in this country. And I think in part, I always have a theory that if it's got an accent on the name, we don't like it because we don't know how to pronounce it. So that's why we buy Morgan, <laughs> but we don't buy Chenard. 
<laughs> Do you know what? Actually, I, I think that could actually be fair. I mean, we sell a lot of Santa more because everyone knows that that means Saint Love. Like, literally, we do we do buy things on the words. Santa more was actually named for a Roman soldier called Amor who sheltered here and built a monastery. He converted to Christianity and fled the massacres that were happening in the valley in Switzerland at the time and settled in the commune of Saint Amour and he was called Amour it took his name although now it is associated with Valentine's Day and love it comes from the name and in actually similar to all of the crews or most of the crews the name is taken from Roman noblemen Roman soldiers and generals who settled here Juliana who's Juliana named after Romeo and Juliet (laughs) (laughs) no Come on, I said it was Roman. Roman soldiers. It's named after Julius Caesar. Okay. So in his book, Commentaries in a Gallic War, Julius Caesar actually mentions stopping in this commune to quench his thirst and having a drink here in what became Juliana. It's named after Julius Caesar. So we got to Molonavant, didn't we? Now, we we lurk in Molonavant. This one is a... Yeah. Age-worthy beast. Must not it be. is definitely yeah. age-worthy, yeah. And so Moulin Avant, not named after a Roman soldier, but actually called Windmill. So that's the translation of Moulin Avant because there is an old windmill that sits in the middle of the Appalachian. Um, and this is the oldest Appalachian, actually, in the whole region. So originally goes back to 1924. So wines have been made here, as I say, since the Roman times. So the Romans are the first people that identified the possibilities of Beaujolais, hence why so many of the crews are named after Roman soldiers and noblemen. And then over time, there's been this real sort of waxing and waning of the popularity of Beaujolais. So Philip the Bold came along, hated Gamay, rip it all up, get rid of it. Louis XIII would only serve Beaujolais at his table as the King of France. You know, this was the wine that he thought was the best wine to have. Yeah. You know, and then, as I say, 1956, George de Boeuf came and created Beaujolais Nouveau. There was a huge demand for it. In the 90s, that demand waned again. And it's so it waxes and wanes through time. You know, it really does sort of change over time and it comes into fashion and out of fashion. Anyway, sorry, I digress, as always. Moulin Avant, oldest, <laughs> oldest appellation, created in 1924 and granted AOC status in 1936. So one of the very first places to have appellation status in France. Serious, age-worthy wines. These can be cellared for five to ten years. We always think that Beaujolais should be drunk relatively young. Moulin Avant, you can put this away. It will improve with time. So it has structure and it's sort of um, cherries, floral notes, roses, maybe for the florals, roses and violets, that sort of sense. Again, a little bit spicy and maybe even those sort of undergrowth notes as well, those notes of forest floor and undergrowth that you get with those age-worthy wines, almost becoming closer to sort of Pinot Noir as it ages. Mm, Interesting. I wish I had one that I'd aged, but that's just never actually happened. (laughs) Have I ever told you the story about my 11-year-old son at the National Trust property? Uh, No. And does it have something to do with a Moulin Avant? It has something to do with with what I've just mentioned, yeah. So we were at the National Castle Drogo in Devon, 
Easter holidays, and off they go doing their trail, you know, getting all their stamps and their ticks and filling things in. And one of the activities that they had to do was they had to go into the forest and they had to imagine that they were a forest animal. So they were encouraged to get down on all fours (laughs) to look and see what the animals could see. So the the volunteer said, what can you see? Well, if you're an animal, you know, I can see these, you know, ferns and I can see these brackens yeah and what can you smell and my son picked up a handful of forest floor sniffed it and said i can smell good red wine (laughs) 11 years old winning as a father yes (laughs) but yes that's what you get with an aged moulin avant you get the smell of forest floor like you do with pinot noir (laughs) beautiful Beautiful. Oh. No, then after Moulin Avant, we go to Fleury, which funny enough as well for me, Fleury, it sounds flirty. It sounds floral. So actually, I think that this is a really good one for the name suggesting the floral pretty style that it can be. I like that the name works almost. Yeah, I, I'd spot on that. It, yeah, I, I agree completely that the name gives you the indication of what you're going to get. Albeit, it was named for Florus, a Roman soldier. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it wasn't. No, 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 or maybe no, no. it wasn't. Um, so we are here, very steep slopes in Fleury. So if you ever go there, really steep. So it's hard. this is hard work. We mentioned earlier about the goblet training. You know, there's no mecha- mechanization here. It's too steep for mechanization. So it's all hand-picked. All the crews generally hand-picked grapes. You know, so real effort and love going into the harvest in all of the crews. It's quite large, 840 hectares. So it's quite large for the crews. And you have 90% granite here. So quite a homogenous soil or geology formation and you have a beautiful church the church of Lamadon, which overlooks all of the vines in Fleury so it's one of the pictures you quite often see of the church that overlooks the vines and it picture that you often see of Beaujolais of the church overlooking the vines it's very pretty and what you get as you say very fragrant very floral you still get the red fruits bright red color as well from Fleury and it's one of those very typically Beaujolais wines. I think when people think yeah. of Beaujolais, this is what they think of. That's so, so true. And also, very often when somebody pours me a Beaujolais crew, it's flurry. It's, you know. I it's know. also very easy to find. I was going to say it's very easy to find yes. in this country. So, yeah, you if you go into, I would imagine most supermarkets probably have a flurry on the shelf. Most wine merchants do. Obviously, if you want quality, independent wine merchants are the place to go looking. What? Wickham's wine? (laughs) Wickham's would be one. Yes. (laughs) Listen, I say this all the time, everyone. The wines are great and you can get 10% off the first order, can't they? Using my code. Eat, Eat, sleep, sleep, 10. 10. (laughs) Yeah, you go. Anyway. So moving on. So we've got Chiroble, if I pronounced it correctly. That's how I pronounce it. Chiroble. Chirubla is how I would pronounce it, but I'm I'm not claiming to be any expert on French pronunciation. You've been there more than me, but I mean, this is this is at pretty high elevation now, isn't it? Yeah. So we are 450 meters above sea level, which is pretty much the highest point we're going to find of vineyards. So one of the things about the whole region, you have the Seon River runs down one side, and you have the Beaujolais Mountain Range runs down the other, which creates the sort of specific climates that you get here. The vines are planted in the foothills, so up to about 450, 500 metres above sea level is the highest you'll get. So yeah, here in Sharubla, we are 
pretty much at the highest point we can get to. We are a hundred percent granite here. That's the only rock formation that we've got in Sharubla. Mm, okay. So very. So in terms of what you can expect from the wines, you know they are going to be very. Can't think of the word that I want. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for me, I would describe them as like a little bit more um, lifted, lively. They're brighter as well. They're more elegant. Yes. Sorry. I was looking for consistent was the word that I want. (laughs) (laughs) None of the words I use. Sorry. Tried to dig you out. Tried to dig you out. Thank you. But yeah, so they are because you have 100% granite, all altitude, they're more consistent in presentation. And what you get because of the altitude is, of course, more freshness, more elegance. Um, so you Don't will... steal my words now. No, I've already done them. Get your own words. Just say, yes, Yanina, I concur. Yes, Yanina, I concur. <laughs> your tasting notes were spot on. They're absolutely right. You've got, uh, yeah, you've got very steep inclines here as well. So a bit like Fleury, you're very steep, very hard work. Again, you don't see lots of these here. And I think in part because it is such hard work, it's sort of heroic, very heroic if you are harvesting grapes in this mm. environment. Yeah, worth, again, worth seeking out. Okay, so what's it like then when we go to Morgon, which is, again, we said about Fleury, everyone kind of identifies almost Beaujolais, typical Beaujolais as Fleury, but actually almost Morgon is like, a, oh, I want the really serious wine of Beaujolais, so I've got a Morgon. Yeah. What's it? You've obviously come down in elevation now. Yeah, so you are sort of 300 metres roughly in elevation in Morgon. This is the biggest crew, sort of over a thousand hectares Morgon. Very, very dense as well. If you drive through the village of Morgon and Vili Morgon, um, you know, incredibly dense. The, you know, it's just vines, 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 vines. There's nothing else. You know, it's incredibly dense. And what you get with Morgon, yeah, is incredible structure, incredible depth, incredible power, which you maybe don't find in, in the other crews. So Kirsch, cherries, plums even, spices. And there is this verb in French to Morgon, Really? To really, yes. To Morgon, yeah. And what it means is as the wines age, they become closer and closer to Pinot Noir. And again, a bit like Moulin Avant, these are very age-worthy wines. So you could put these away for 10 years, you know, or more if you wanted to. And if you tried one that was that age, you know, they, 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 they get closer in style to Pinot Noir. But they are excellent value. So I spoke earlier about this waxing and waning of trends through history. We buy wine from Dominic Piron. So people might be familiar with the name. You can go into most supermarkets and you'll see Dominic Piron on the label. Those are no longer his wines. We buy wines from his new project, Claude Vieux He sold the brand Dominic Piron in 2020, but he didn't sell the historic family vineyards. He kept hold of those and he still uses those. So when you buy Dominic Piron labelled wines in the supermarket now, those grapes are just bought in grapes from elsewhere. They're not from his vineyards. If you want Dominic's grapes, you have to buy Claude de Vioborg. And Dominic's history in Morgon goes back to 1582. He's the 14th generation winemaker. His family have got this incredible history in Morgon. He said to me once, he said, Dan, what you must remember is that when I was a child, was inoculated with Beaujolais. <laughs> if you cut my veins, I bleed gamay. And it's so much oh. a part of who he is. 
But equally, so I say about this similarity between Burgundy and Morgon. In 1932, Dominic's great-great-grandfather, Benoit, had the opportunity to buy some land. They had a little bit of money saved up, and they had the opportunity to buy some land. There was one plot they could buy in Burgundy. There was one plot they could buy in Morgon. 100,000 francs for either same size, and they had to decide which plot of land they would buy. And of course, wow. because their history was Morgon, they bought this wonderful plot on the Cote de Pie in Morgon. And they still own it and they make wines from it. The plot in Burgundy, what was it? Well, I'm not even going to guess. Please don't tell me it was something insanely good. Clos de Tarte. <gasps> well, good for them that they stuck with tradition because they'd be making a lot more money with Clos de Tarte. What? But the point of the story is that in 1932, Clodotart and Morgon were deemed equal. They had the same value. Now, I don't know how much is a bottle of Clodotart now. What, £500? A, a couple of hundred. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say probably £400 maybe for yeah. the, you know. And you can buy Morgon from Dominic Perron from those vineyards for about £20. So the value that you get when you buy good Morgon is phenomenal. You know, it is so undervalued at the moment. It is a wonderful wine to buy and drink now or to put in your cellar and to drink in a few years' time. And for anyone who's thinking, what is Cote de Pie? Cote de Pie is literally, and when we say P, it's spelled P-Y. And it is just literally one of those absolute tiny, perfect vineyard sites within Morgon, which really, if you ever see it on a label, just grab the bottle. Don't doubt yeah. it. It will be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And what you have on the Cote de Pie, so you have a number of sort of Lyudites or Climats, as they would be called in Burgundy. So you see, you see Cote de Pie is on there. You see Javernier, which is on there, which again is another one. There's a number of different ones. So if you look and it says Morgon and then underneath there is another name that will be a climat or a ludit which is this very specific parcel which is a higher quality than anywhere else well now it's interesting that you started talking about the Vauborg wines because look what i have in front of me not them all gone but i have the renier which is the next crew south of morgon so have you got the same bottle I have got the same bottle, yes. So I've got 2021 vintage for anybody who wants to know. So they're obviously focused in Morgon, but they also do a Chenin, don't they? And a Renier, right? I know they do those yep. three because you have them. Do they do any other crews? Beaujolais Blanc as well. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. <gasps> Which, oh my God. Yes. Which I've spoken about on my Instagram before everybody. My God, that Beaujolais Blanc is delicious. But anyway, we're giving Gamay its moment. So this is their Renier. Now, this is a fresher wine. This is not as structured as Morgon, is it? It's not. So in general, Renier tends to be sort of red fruit, soft red fruit, strawberries, raspberries, that sort of flavour. You don't necessarily get the depth that you would get with Morgon. Um, and this wine that we're trying is 2021, which was, a, which if anybody remembers 2021, was a wet year. For me, I find 21s more typically Beaujolais. So I really like the 21s. Speak to the winemakers. They hated it because it was really hard work. They loved 20 and they loved 22 because they didn't have to do as much work because there was just, you know, it, the grapes just ripened really nicely, really evenly. 21 was wet and damp. It was harder work. 23, and I know we, we, we tried the Beaujolais Nouveau on the previous episode, which is our first chance to try 23, but 23, again, was another very, very difficult year. So Dominic, whose wine we're trying now, you know, he's a 
typically romantic Frenchman. I, I love chatting to him. And I asked him about the harvest for 23. And he told me, you know, they had hurricanes, they had tornadoes, they had wind, they had rain. And he said, and then a little magic, a bit of luck, <laughs> a few millimeters of rain and oh, everyone was breathing again, wines and people alike. <laughs> <laughs> when he describes these things, it's oh, just like, my God. It's just like, oh, I love him. Oh, yeah, oh, he's brilliant. Oh, how brilliant. beautiful. The epitome of that beautiful French man. So, this, funny enough, you said yeah. that this, so this is 2021. Actually, this has got really crunchy fruits on the palate. The nose is really, really fresh. And you get lots of, for me, like tart cherries, you get the red currants. So, perhaps on a warmer year, you are going to get a little bit more structure, you know, hinting towards what you can kind of get from Morgan. But definitely, actually, either way, in this glass, it's quite explosive, the fruit. It's got some sharpness, but brightness. It's excitable, this wine, actually. There's a lovely lift, isn't there? So you've got the depth, but there is that real sort of bright note that you get on the finish where you've got those slightly darker fruits, but then I think on the finish you get that lip, the sort of very bright red fruit, red currant or strawberry or some, you know, that sort of flavour that comes through with it. But I like also there's that little hint. There's a bit of almost for me like some white pepper, which again, maybe is coming because it's a cooler year. But then a bit of the finish for me is a little bit herbal. You get some thyme. There's some like there's a slight mineral note to it as well, which is giving me that extra finesse. Yeah. I really like it, but it's really crunchy, really vibrant. I also think this would be great with piggies in a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Duck. I feel... Yeah, well, okay, all right. If you want to take it there, I mean, that's another really good pairing. But you know where my mind is. It's like 50 days to, you know, or well, either, 40 you, something days till Christmas. I don't or know. Or if you're having goose for Christmas Day, how about that? Can we go with goose for Christmas Day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to have goose for Christmas Day, but my wife won't let me. She said we have to have turkey. But I might just do a little goose for myself. Can you get a little goose? Is there such a thing as a little goose? <laughs> I think this will go with all of those. Yeah, because it's 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 got this concentration, it's got this power. Obviously, this would go really nicely with any way you're putting, you know, with actually, Beaujolais is great with Christmas dinner. If you're going to have some cranberry sauce in there and stuff like that. Yeah, it's well, perfect. I think if you, like if you're having slightly fattier meats like goose, you know, which is obviously very fatty, because you've got the acidity still, you've got the freshness, that would cut through it, I think, really nicely. So you've got all of those fruit flavours that will, will go with the cranberry sauce and the bread sauce and the, you know, but, yeah, but actually... It will also cut through the fattiness of the meat, which I think would be quite nice. So how much is this bottle if, if everyone's buying a mix six? £16.65. Perfect. Thank you. And for all that concentration of lovely red fruits, fine. I'm very happy with that. So we've just tasted this lovely Rainier. But would you say it's not as what people would expect from a Rainier just because it's a cooler year? It normally might in a, have a bit more body. In. I think it's more typical because it's a cooler year that this okay. is more typically oh, Beaujolais. Okay. You know, if people think of what they expect from Beaujolais historically, this is closer. I think 20 and 22, which are the riper, bigger years, although that might be what we're going to get more frequently going forward, those aren't necessarily typical. This, to me, is more typical. Okay, yeah. So when we go to Brie, so when we've gone to Brie, which is just south, how is that in comparison? Just before we move on to Brie, can I just say on Renier? So just... um... (laughs) That was so formal. Like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Renier. I'm not ready to move on yet. All right, sorry, Dan. Yeah, go on, carry on. I just wanted to just wanted to say it was the newest crew. They only formed in 1988. So this is the most recent crew to be added to the list of crews, Renier. And again, it's it's not something that you see very often in this country because there's two accents this time, one on each e, and so, 
So nobody wants. <laughs> no it. chance. No chance. No chance. Okay. Oh, dearie me. <sighs> right. Okay. Am I allowed to go on to the next crew? Are we okay to go on to the next crew? You are allowed to go on to the next crew. Do you want to yeah. tell us about Brewie? <laughs> yeah, another very big crew, Brewie. And because of that, actually, it can be very different dependent on where in Brewery you get the wines from. So there's a real mixture of terroir. And so you can go from sort of very bright red fruits to very deep, dark sort of purple fruits, depending on whether you're coming from granite or alluvial deposits. So it's real, there's a real mix in Brewery that you can that you can find. And again, in terms of the altitude, there's a real mix here again. So it's anything from sort of a 200 metres up to about 500 metres. So there's, there's pretty much, Brewery has pretty much everything of Beaujolais. It has all the soil types, it has all the altitudes, it has, you know, all the flavours. <laughs> it, it can be many, many things. And I guess exactly for that reason, within Brie, you have the last crew, which is Cote yes. de Brie, which is the, the hill within, like, so the most, I guess it must be the hilliest part, is so, it? No, so it's not. So, so Fleury and, yeah, Fleury and Cherubla will be ah, are more hilly, are, are steeper. Ah, no, sorry, I didn't mean um, that. I yes, meant all yes. Brie. So this is, is Mont Brewery. Is the is the name of the of the hill, Brewery Mountain, albeit it's probably not high enough to really be a mountain. When you stand there, you can see Mont Blanc in the distance. That's a real mountain. Um, <laughs> kind of ruined. Yeah. But yeah. So you, Mont ruined, Brewery, and Mont Brewery is an old dormant volcano. So so millions of years ago, it was a volcano, and that's sort of then created a lot of the geology that's around there. So you have lots of these um, blue stones. Is the real typical soil type or um, rock type that you get in Cote de Brouille. And that gives a real minerality to the wines of Cote de Brouille that you don't find in many other places. It's really quite distinctive for this part of, of Beaujolais. And Cote means, if people don't know, slope of. So basically, Cote de Brouille, slope of Brouille, and it's the slope of Mont Brouille, um, which is where the, 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 the grapes are growing. And you get quite dense flavours, again, in Cote de Brouille. So plums quite often, red fruits, through to sort of dark plums, floral notes, as you always do with Gamay. So peonies and irises come through in the best examples. But then this real sort of mineral spicy quality that you find as well. Now, so we've gone through all of these. We've got I people so. really excited. People are now going, <laughs> great, of course. But they're going to be like, right, I am just going to look out for the 10 crews because these are the best wines of Beaujolais, which in general, they are. However, every exception to a rule, I'm now going to bring in our last wine to try, which is Domaine de Montjoly, who is this incredible, there's an incredible one-man band basically, isn't he? And he is focused on showing people the terroirs of Beaujolais village and showing how good they can be. So this, just to finish off, just to go to everyone, now you know about all the crews, but oh wait, but don't forget about village. <laughs> Can you just tell us? Yeah, a little bit, because I'm going to let you in on a secret already. I actually, personally, adore this wine so much that between the two, I love this one. This one, you know, <laughs> give me any, I'll happily drink them. But it seems weird, doesn't it, that I'm going to say that actually this Beaujolais Village, which is from La Pointe, or at least is, I'm assuming that's the name of his vineyard within the Beaujolais village, is that correct? La Pointe? La Pointe. All right. So La Pointe, that's the name of the wine, but is that the name of his 
site within the Beaujolais village. No, so he's he's in the village of Blasse. Ah, this is why we're all about, hey guys, if you were listening earlier, this one might become a crew at some point. Okay, he has three right. wines in the range. So Le Coipolage, La Pointe, and 85-45, which I should probably do in French. And it's basically the age of the vines. So the very oldest vines go into the very best wine, which is 85-45. Then the next one is this one that we've got, La Pointe, where the vines are sort of 50 years old. And then you have Le Croix-Polage, which are sort of 40-year-old vines. So it's just the age of the vines that he's using. And I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast before. With age, what you get is more concentration because it naturally restricts the yields. You also seem to get more of the sense of place as they take up more from where they are. So here, like I say, we're 50-year-old vines. And one of the things I love about uh, Jean-Baptiste is the amount of information that he puts on the bottle. You know, if you're a real wine geek and you want to know more, like Yanina says, it's about terroir, and he puts it all on the oh, bottle. He gives God. you the elevation. He gives you the age of the vines. He gives you, you know, the, the date that the, it was picked and bottled and everything goes on here. It's wonderful. How much it, the amount of filtration it has, what sugars are actually left in the bottle. I mean, this is a dry wine. It's less than two grams, but hey, it's amazing. It says it. It tells you exactly when the grapes were picked, which is the 4th of September, 2018. So everyone, this is a 2018 vintage. On the 19th of the 9th, 2018, it went through Pressourage. <laughs> What's pressourage? <laughs> no, I'm laughing at the fact that Oh God, what's pressurage? Well, I know what embottled bouteillage is, which is the uh, which is obviously bottling. And right, I do know. Did I did this in a post. Excellent. I have it. Okay, pressurage. Yeah, no, no, oh, I did pressed, it. Of course, it is pressed. Course. It was pressed on the nineteenth of the nine. Of course, how obvious. Okay, then embottillage. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Yeah, that is a, a bottled, which, by the way, also means traffic jam. We we call it a bottleneck, don't we? That, yeah, that makes the sense. The French word embotellage, yeah, is uh, means traffic jam. Okay, I mean it has manuel to say it's manual harvesting. It tells you about destemming egrapage. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, everyone, with this awful French. But anyway, it talks about shen. I don't know. That means wood and the exposition. It tells you it's northeast. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. I I got really. I haven't seen a label with this amount of information. And I have to say, it's brilliant. But flavour-wise, I've just poured this yeah. now, Dan, and oh my God, I could smell it as I was pouring it. it. It's really concentrated. It's so powerful. It has this like red plums, but there is this touch of dark cherries. It gets like licorice. It's baking spices. They it, Obviously, he has put this in oak and you can smell that but it's a sweetness it's a it's Yum. that sweet lick of oak so whereas we had oak. a tickle of tannins with the Beaujolais Nouveau this is a no 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 a sweet lick a sweet lick of oak not just a lick a sweet lick the power and the intensity on the nose just already you fall in love with it Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's things that you don't expect to find in Gamay here. You know, there's almost that sort of tobacco note with it as well that you wouldn't, you know, you would never sort of think would be a quality that you'd find in Gamay. There's an earthiness to it. Yeah, there's this a touch of almost like that tea leaves on the finish, but still velvety tannins. But the structure, the structure, Beaujolais Village, it blows my mind yeah. when I taste this wine. I think, if I remember, it's like seventeen pounds or something. Yeah, seventeen ninety nine now. So one seven nine nine. Then well worth every penny. 
It absolutely is. I am so in love with this wine. And I love the fact that he like just quite clearly loves the terroir of the village so much that it's all about pushing it. So the terroir of the village, I love this. So Jean-Baptiste, young man, eighth generation winemaker. When he was growing up, there was this huge expectation of him becoming the winemaker, taking over the family business. And like all teenagers do, he wanted to push against that a little bit. So if you're a French winemaker, how do you push against that? Well, what he did was he actually came and spent some time studying at Plumpton College in England. So he got the English to help him learn how to make wine. That's the first thing that really upsets your French winemaking family. He then also did some (laughs) winemaking in California and New Zealand, which again, you know, is anathema to the French. And then he came back. He actually then did some work in Burgundy before finally making his way back to the family domain. And there was a harvest and he was in the winery. The pickers had gone home for the evening. He poured himself a glass of wine out of the tank and went and stood outside and looked at the moon and the stars in the sky. And this is the picture that's on the front of the bottle, the man looking at the moon. And it was this realisation, having been to England and America and New Zealand, that if he was going to make wines that were true to himself and to his family, that the only place he could do that would be in these three vineyards that they'd farmed for eight generations in Blasé. And he made a promise to himself at that point. His family had rented these fields up until this point, and he made a promise that he would buy those vineyards before the age of 30. And he has. He owns the three vineyards now in Blasé where these wines are made. That is touching. That's so beautiful. I think that actually sums up this whole episode because it just goes to show there's so much more. We always talk about the people behind the wine, the story behind the wine, the year, the challenges, and how beautiful, how beautiful he's bought it and we get to enjoy that and he's keeping it in the family. So, oh, Dan, thank you very much. You have passed. I shall I shall continue taking sponsorship from you, you because you are amazing and knowledgeable. And honestly, you've aced that. Like I didn't have to do any work here. Oh, there's so many little wine facts that I've learned. I'm gonna I will listen back to this episode deeply myself so I can learn. <laughs> no, don't do it, don't do it. So anyway, so anyway, Dan, thank you so much. And I'm sure I'll speak to you for another two hour conversation tomorrow, probably. Cheerio. Lovely. Right. See you later. Bye. So that is it for Beaujolais. But for next week. Now, we all know Christmas is fast approaching and hopefully you're indulging in the joy, the excitement, the lights, the festivities, the people, the giving and, well, you know, the coldness, but the fire pits, everything. Now, This is a time to be a little bit more indulgent with yourself. And that's where the stickies come out, the sweet wines. And so next week, I am talking with Zoltan Kavaks, who is the winery director of Royal Tokai. So we are talking about the Royal Tokai Wine Company only the international market leader of Tokai. But remember, it's not just sweet. There are stills as well. And so actually, I lie. (laughs) Next week, we'll be talking about the still wines because you need to know about these. But the week after, I'm going to finish off with their gorgeous dessert wines. 
And so I shall end this episode with a wine quote. And so inspired by the crew Saint Amour, I thought I'd bring some love to the end of this podcast. And so Benjamin Franklin said, wine is constant proof that God loves us and loves to see us happy. Right. So continue being happy. Continue with your wine journey. Pour yourself some tasty treats. And whilst you're filled with love, feel free to leave a quick rating on Spotify or a beautiful review on Apple Podcasts to help this podcast become more discoverable. That's it, my wine friends. Until next week, cheers to you.